Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Hello, Internet, and welcome back to the Engadget Podcast. I'm Devendra Hardawar, Senior Editor, and joining me is... Reviews Editor, Sherlyn Lowe. And we are back for the very last episode of the year, and we figured this is a good time to take a look back and see what's good, what's bad, what really didn't work this year, and what we're looking forward to next year. As always, please subscribe to the Engadget Podcast, and if you're enjoying what we're doing, uh, drop us a review where we can. Uh, those one-star reviews, those are those are a lot of fun. Uh, yeah, please, no more of those. But uh, good reviews are great. We, we want more of that. Thank you. Sherlyn, you're not feeling well. We are getting ready for CES. Um, <laughs> the holidays are here. Every Everything just seems to be, like, uh, crushing us right now. Murphy's Law. Yeah, yeah. I have to ask you, what is good? Like, what is what is one of the things you think really worked out this year for tech? I mean, so I'm helping to put together Engadget's best and worst tech of the year um, coverage. And so, you know, I've got the whole team pitching. And it started off like everyone, I had a lot more nominations for best or best gadgets and devices than I did worst. So I was mm-hmm. like, oh, this is pretty optimistic look on the year, right? And then they started grouping stuff together. Like the laptops, ultra portables were like, you know, all doing really well. And then the processors were all really good this year too. Yeah. And it actually got shorter and shorter. So actually we have a lot more terrible crap stuff this year than we do good stuff. But anyway, what I did like were, were laptops, surprisingly. Laptops were great this year. Um, not only like I think you're in agreement with me, right? They're getting thinner, faster prettier but also bigger screens premium ultra portables like the dell xps 13 2 and one that i love so much and the spectra x360 the new one that's sitting in front of me yeah. like we we've hit a good point in design like but things just feel good there's very little bezel around the screen um it's just like you can go into a store and buy a high-end laptop and be pretty happy with it it's gorgeous it's i like that one so much but also we saw the dell xps 13 2 and one which you fell in love with love and it. then there was there was a MacBook Pro 16, which you also reviewed. and it's Yeah, yeah. The cool. best Apple laptop in years. Like, Apple went back and gave us a good keyboard, good power. Um, I, I think even across the board, like, we're seeing just really interesting things. I reviewed the Surface Laptop 3, 15-inch version, and that one's really interesting. It has an AMD processor along with a bit of, uh, you know, Radeon mobile graphics. And that's Ooh. a that's a really interesting thing. It's a very thin machine, but they've managed to cram in a lot. So, it just seems like, in general, people are experimenting with the sorts of things laptops can be, and they're getting a lot more interesting. I want to say, though, like, even though I didn't like the Surface Pro X for some software-related <laughs> reasons, <laughs> it was beautiful, like a gorgeous piece of hardware sure. that shows us what's p- possible if they get their software act together. Um, and there was a lot of developments in connected PCs, which is something I like a lot, but Hopefully we get to see more soon. I think Samsung also, you know, showed us that it had the chops to bring really good looking laptops to market with QLED screens. Um, so I don't know. There's I, I just saw so many fascinating laptops this year. Yeah. And we reviewed more laptops than I think we ever have this year. Maybe uh, I can certainly feel it in my typing fingers. <laughs> um, I, even in terms of gaming laptops, too, like things are getting pretty wild. I just reviewed the Razorblade Stealth 13, the latest one, and they've managed to fit in a GTX uh, 1650 Max-Q GPU in there. So that's like a that is a, you know, dedicated graphics card in a really, really super light three pound machine. So Really fascinating stuff happening across the board. Laptops are getting good, and you know we'll keep an eye on the best ones. I think you mentioned one of the key things too that made laptops really good this year, right? Like the AMD, um, it's just more powerful GTX chipsets, but it's also um, 
RTX chips were were a whole thing this year too. Oh, yeah. Getting into yeah. a lot of laptops, they're getting just so much more powerful and yet remaining thin and relatively light. I guess mm-hmm. uh, Acer unveiled, I think, the Concept D devices this year. We got a lot of Asus's Studio um, devices, so a lot of super powerful, targeted at creators uh, machines out there that mm-hmm. I think will eventually trickle down to mainstream and be just very powerful. Yeah, some really unique designs. It, honestly, in terms of gaming laptops, I've been telling people for the past few years, uh, I get a lot of questions from folks about, like, should I build a gaming desktop or something, or should I pick up a gaming laptop? And more and more, it just seems like, you know, it's worth spending the extra money. Get the laptop. Even though it's not upgradable, you could just do a lot more with it. You could game on the go. You could plug it in next to your TV and have something that's as powerful as, like, a modern console. And that is the sort of flexibility that we really haven't seen with gaming laptops uh, up until recently. So yeah, those are looking much better than ever before. And another thing I've been really enjoying this year is just the the overall growth of wireless earbuds. I've been resistant to these things for so long because yeah, they, they haven't had great battery life and reception up until like recently. But this latest wave, uh, everyone's getting in on the fun. Uh, we've got Decent bud competition from just about every company, including Sony, Jabra, the usual suspects, but even like Microsoft has announced them. Uh, Google's Amazon. Yeah, Amazon, which we will not speak of again. (laughs) But it seems like the basic hardware to do wireless earbuds, you know, um, wireless chipsets that can really fit into those tiny spaces, decent battery life and charging cases like those. We figured out the basics of it. So everyone's just putting their spin on it right now. And Apple has even given us like their upgraded versions of the AirPods with the AirPods Pro uh, with noise canceling and everything. So it's a really cool space we're in. All of my concerns about wireless earbuds still exist. Uh, I still think like they're kind of annoying to deal with when you need to take them out. You got to keep the case around. Uh, They will fall onto the floor. You better hope uh, they don't fall anywhere too gross or like out of reach. So just be careful. Jeez. No, they they fall. They fall all the time. You drop that case, that case will explode. That, that's happened to me many times. Like, I will drop a case, and the buds go flying all over the place. And that is, you know, with the earbuds that have cables to them, they, they at least stay in one location. But anyway, they're good. They're good. They're getting cheaper. And I think I can recommend so many different types of earbuds to people this year. A lot more companies are thinking more about form factor and kind mm-hmm. of how they fit in your ears. So even the AirPods Pro have different uh, bud sizes. I mean, shout out to the Surface earbuds, right? Because they really worked on like that twist and lock mechanism and Pixel also thought about how they want to seal out noise without... We won't really... Yeah, we won't see either of those until next year, but they're they're interesting ideas. Yeah. Yeah, and and the AirPods Pro, like you said, like people are really seriously thinking about... <laughs> um, the fit of their earbuds mm-hmm. and the i mean it's little things too like i believe apple did a thing where like even the air pressure when you're wearing the earbuds kind of like equalize which has been a bit of a problem for people with noise canceling headphones like you can sometimes feel like your ear is getting sucked out of your head uh when you turn on noise canceling and apparently that's not a problem with the airpods pro so little things like that little you know ease of life features are, are pretty great Quick shout out to, you know, the the handful of earbuds out there that do a good job of staying in my very strange ears. If you have my physical dilemma, uh, these are the buds you should be looking at. The Sony WF-1000XM3s, they're really high-end headphones. Uh, they fit well, even though they don't have wingtips. For exercise, I really like the uh, the new Beats wireless earbuds. Um, you know, they those have these really crazy arms. They go way over your ear, but you can also do anything you could you could be running you could be weightlifting you could be doing whatever they will not budge so it seems like we're at a point where you know there's an earbud for every type of use in every type of person uh even some of our favorites from last year jabra their new 75 t's fixed an already great pair of earbuds those are the ones i recommend for everybody like those seem like the best ones for most people even if you're exercising even if you need like very specific use cases Basically, we only have two categories right now where I think we're mostly positive on it because (laughs) otherwise, you know, things have been it's been kind of a rocky year. Uh, I I could talk a bit about VR. I think it's been both a great year for VR and also kind of a, you know, a bit of a disappointing one as well. This is kind of halfway. The Oculus Quest debuted this year, and that was sort of like the great all in one device everybody was waiting for. You don't need to plug in a phone. You don't need to plug it into a PC. It has all the hardware built in. And it has all of its sensors built in, too, for, like, full 
uh, six degree of freedom VR. So you could play super hot. You could play all the games you've been hearing about all for 400 bucks. So that was very nice when it launched, but over time, Oculus has actually made it a much more capable machine. So at the Kinect conference, they gave it this feature called Oculus Link that lets you plug into PC to run much more high-end VR. And they're also adding features like hand tracking. I'm really excited about this device. It is basically like the single most versatile VR headset out there. It's still very expensive, but for 400 bucks, you get a lot of machine. You get something that can do VR on the go. You get something that could do higher-end VR when you're in your you know, home or office. Uh, it could just do so much, and it looks like it's going to be a great device into next year. I was also really impressed with the Valve Index, which is a whole, it's a crazy $1,000 setup, but it is the best high-end VR you could get. Um, you know, it is still tethered to PC. You still have to set up sensors, but everything looks so good. I feel like there is a type of user who will just pay whatever it takes to get the best looking VR possible. On the opposite end of that high-end spectrum, though, didn't we see Daydream VR and die this year, too? The ones that were based on Google Cardboard or even like slightly higher end than that, like the Galaxy, the Samsung's Gear VR headsets. Every mobile VR platform died this year, but that's that's not too surprising. The only reason mobile VR was a thing was because, hey, our phones have these great screens. All we got to do is plug them into these little boxes and you can, you can sort of get like a semi VR experience. And I think ever since what the Oculus Go came out last year, Lenovo had the standalone Daydream device too, which honestly was not that impressive. Uh, those were like basic takes on mobile VR. But once those things arrived, the Oculus Go was 200 bucks. Once those arrived, it didn't seem like you had a reason to plug your phone into a box anymore. And that's also a bad thing. Um, at Oculus Connect this year, John Carmack, the legendary programmer who you know worked on Quake and so many different things, uh, he is Oculus's head technology guy. And he was just saying like, you know, it worked. They sold the Galaxy VR units, um, but they've noticed that, you know, it's really hard to have your main communication device in a box away. Exactly. Like if you're getting a text or something, it's kind of hard. Battery life wasn't great. Uh, there are just a lot of things that made it inconvenient. And it seems like the big thing for VR moving forward is it has to be convenient. And right now the Quest seems like the best option for most people. And I'm actually just working on a piece right now why next year is going to be a really really big year for VR, uh, mainly because of things like Half-Life Alex, which is the prequel to Half-Life 2, but it's going to be an exclusive VR game in the Half-Life universe from Valve, a company that has seemingly forgotten how to make games beyond like, you know, money-making mobile things. Um, I'm, I'm not a fan of those, but it's that's the sort of thing. VR needs this killer app. Uh, yeah. Gamers are already freaking out that, yeah, you, oh, no, I can't play this on my PC. I mean, I'm sorry, but that is the point. You got to get a headset. Um, we need these big swings. I hope it's good. Judging from the trailer, it seems like it has some really interesting interactions. Um, it'll be available across different headsets. Uh, I, I think the Quest and the upcoming features we're seeing there seem really fascinating, too. And even like um, I'm looking at the next generation consoles, and those things are powerful enough to have some really good VR stuff. Uh, Sony says... It'll be coming down the line. Microsoft is not a super fan of VR at this point. I think that, um, I mean, for me this year, what really intrigued me in VR, I mean, you and I cover the VR Fest mm -hmm. at Tribeca every year. And then, so we, we I'm more familiar with those uh, experiences that you go to a place and you strap in and, you know, they have all the gear for you. You just go and ex enjoy the experience. Mm -hmm. This year, The Void, I think, had the Marvel uh, in VR, Avengers in <laughs> VR experience. That, holy shit. Oh, <laughs> did you do I that say. i forgot if you did that i covered the news um i didn't go even though it was I like go right by it, my past station i, th I yeah. thought you would have enjoyed it i would have because the premise was very intriguing but there's also an iron man vr game coming out uh, i believe it's coming to v psvr and so it's titles like that i think that content is a big deal for mm -hmm. vr and we are finally seeing i think this year uh actual efforts to make those good i mean even last year there were some there was Games I can't remember the titles of right now, but there was a big <laughs> sci-fi game. There was a big, like, sword and sorcery game. There were big, long 20 to 30-hour games that you can experience in VR. Um, so it seems like we're getting to a point where, like, you know, more stuff is happening. I feel like Sony's support for VR has been essential because the PlayStation VR was not a very uh, powerful device because it was just relying on the PlayStation 4. But they got so many developers involved that they brought so much content into the VR ecosystem. So I'm hoping, you know, more stuff happens. It sounds like Sony wants to make a, a follow-up to the PlayStation VR for the PS5. Uh, Microsoft is doing this weird thing where it's like, 
They're just saying gamers don't want VR and they're kind of avoiding it. But they did reveal the Xbox Series X last week out of nowhere at the Game Awards. And that thing is basically a PC. It is a PC gaming tower. And it certainly has enough power from what we know so far to do some decent VR. That's not something I want to put on my like TV console. Definitely not. Well, you know, not everybody... I think we're reaching an interesting point. Not everybody can build a gaming PC. And even doing that is twice as expensive as, like, you know, the power you're going to get in something like the Series X. So, yeah, yeah that's... I, I think, like, there's a lot of good stuff to look forward to there. Let's get into the stuff that didn't quite work this year for us, Trillin. I feel like this is my little section just because... <laughs> Trillin's corner of hate. Yeah. My corner of hate. Um, basically, I pitched a story for our year-end review roundup saying that 2019 was a really piss-poor year of hype <laughs> for stuff that's meant to do really well in 2020. That story, I'm not actually writing it, but you'll see it uh, elsewhere in some other stories on Engadget. Um, but yeah, I think that there's a lot of technologies that were hyped up prematurely in 2019. Mm-hmm. And so we're going to start with the most obvious, which is foldables. And oh, that- really? You're saying they're too hyped up because I seem to remember somebody, what? somebody just really shooting me down when I'm when I'm trying to throw some cold water and foldables. But okay, okay, go on, Trillin. At the end of 2018, when uh, Samsung teased its Galaxy Fold for the very first time at Samsung Developer Conference, I tweeted out that like I didn't see the point of get like a foldable phone i will say i was one of the haters at the start i will admit that yeah and look i was proven mostly right in 2019 where like i still don't see a real good anybody with a pair of eyes was proven right that uh, yeah i don't i don't trust you're gonna get this right no 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 i mean some people were really hype about it too uh in 2018 but 2019 Mm -hmm. i think proved that like there's still a ways to go there's a lot of technology that needs to be figured out more importantly than the hardware because i think people will figure out the hardware more importantly than that is the just the software i think android needs to work really well um to make this happen Mm -hmm. and you know show me why i want it um i don't i mean again i've seen foldable devices that i really like the huawei mate x i actually really liked um it just felt sturdier overall that that hasn't been released though that's still like yeah it's a dream device it's very nice they were going to but then Uh samsung ran into all of its issues and huawei was like (laughs) oh crap well, we're going to hold hold up on abort, this for a bit. Abort. Uh, the Moto um, Razor was very cool. It was a the weird Razor. concept. We closed out the year with the Moto Razor, um, but throughout the year, right, we saw everyone try. We started off 2019 with um, Royal Flex Pie at CES, and then we saw you know, the Galaxy Fold come out. We also saw Huawei, Moto, um, TCL, and all of that. And then we... You know, to be honest, if you look back on this decade, 2011, all right, we actually saw the Kyocera Edge. Do you remember that uh-huh. guy? Yeah, Have you heard? I think so. Yeah. I'm sorry, the QSR Echo, might be, um, okay. is a dual screen Android phone, uh, exclusive to Sprint back then, because, you know, exclusives were a thing. And it was a like two 3.5 inch displays running yeah. 480 by 800 to become yeah. a single 4.7. It was dual screen. And I mean, listen, you were, you were pretty hype about dual screen devices. And I've been trying to tell you that people have have been doing this for a decade. Right. The Kyocera, the Samsung um, Hennessy, I believe, the Samsung Hennessy, <laughs> Anything if you remember Hennessey. that. Any device called Hennessy, I will not. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. That was, no, no, that was I, 2013. I Listen, XM. VR has been in development since the 70s. We saw VR, Sega made a VR headset in the 90s that never quite made it out. Like These things take a while to get out. I totally agree. My, my thing, the thing I'm planting uh, my flag into this year is the idea that just dual screens make more sense for more devices. So sort of like what Microsoft is doing with the Duo and the Neo, those are two separate screens. Uh, they still interact with each other. Windows 10X is this thing that's going to you know, help Windows move across dual screen devices. Um, eventually, everything will probably be folding. But I think, you know, look at these dual screen devices. Like there, there's less there is a less of a way for them to fail. You're not moving and folding the actual screen. And that's a good thing, even if it doesn't sound as futuristic as folding your display. I think it's good. I just think that a dual screen device has, is harder for me to get on board with because I, you know, like the ZenBook Pro Duo, right? You you yep. reviewed that this I year. Did. That's such a, I, I couldn't deal with the poor typing experience in general. Um, I've seen other dual screen devices in yeah. previous That's years. That's just a keyboard issue though. Like it's, 
I do feel like the Zimbabwe sure. Pro Duo, that was the one where it was a giant screen right yeah. below the main display, right? And that was that's interesting. That I could put so much data down there. You could hold three windows down yes. there. Like it, it I think for people working with timelines or who want to just multitask in a really unique way, that machine is insane. It's it great. Looks great. It's much more useful than the screen pad where they were throwing a screen into the actual trackpad. Yeah. But um, I mean, I've spoken to a bunch of laptop makers as well um, recently, and they're, you know, generally on board with both the Neo and Duo style devices. Uh, I think that most, the consensus is that, like you said, the tech is there for dual screens, yes, but it seems like most people want for productivity to have that one uninterrupted display. Um, And that's why foldables are exciting a lot of companies. And so, I mean, we'll see. I just think that this was too much hype this year on foldables, but what we're going to get in the decade to come might actually be super great. And so it just... Was lousy with hype. That, that, we're that's we're at really a really interesting point. It reminds me of like you know, it, it's sort of like 2007 when we saw the the iPhone for the first time, mm. and it was sort of like, you know, this thing's cool. I've never seen a device like this. Uh, it doesn't have 3G. It doesn't have like <laughs> some of the things you'd want from other smartphones. And it took Apple a while to even upgrade some of those features, but it was like a statement of what's to come. And it feels like we're at that point. You know, nobody should buy a folding phone right now. But eventually, five years or something, maybe they'll be genuinely great. Um, I, I want like a whole array of folding devices. I want folding tablets where like it goes from like paperback size to like full on, you know, legal style paper size. We've seen um, an early version of that, the yoga book, yes. Um, yes. but but still needs a lot of work. Everything, everything still needs a lot of work. <laughs> so this is this is pretty much your category, Shulin. So, uh, what about five G? You kept typing up five G to me. I don't know uh, I did. what happened there. So, so my and I also admit that this is a year of too much hype for five G. <laughs> Frankly, the target everyone initially set for five G to roll out um, was twenty twenty. No one ever yeah, was yeah. like. Everyone was like, 2020 is when 5G will come out. And then everyone decided to, no, we're going to beat each other. And then Which decided to like... Which is not unusual. Like, that, that, that's what happened with 4G. I know. That's what happened with LTE. It, these carriers, which uh, uh, we, are, we are owned by a carrier. Um, yes. Um, but all these carriers like to have these, uh, these, I don't know, network measuring contests. Yeah. Especially when a new tech comes. Yeah. So I'm about to take down one carrier or, <laughs> or point out one carrier. So I think it's, it behooves me to, to say that, yes, sure. we, we are employed by Verizon, but they have no real influence over my views. Um, so AT&T started out this year with 5GE. Which was incredibly annoying for me as someone who studies 5G. Um, Because there was nothing 5G about it, right? Yeah, there was nothing really 5G about it. They just turned on like a certain band, I believe, and Mm -hmm. then just decided to be like, yeah. 5G? No, it was not. It got it got T-Mobile upset. It got every other carrier upset, and this was happening while everyone was at CES. So th- that was that was just fun times for everyone covering mm-hmm. networking. But then, you know, uh, 5G is a very tricky bit beast. There were a lot of promises made, but you know, to to get all of those promises fulfilled, there's a lot that has to happen. You'd have to have both millimeter wave turned on and also sub six turned on. But mm-hmm. right now, everyone is rolling out or focusing on the sub six rollout because it's just a little bit easier. Can the technology you for... quickly explain? So what is sub six? What is millimeter wave? Yes. Why are they different and interesting? Yeah, so millimeter wave to me is the most interesting, right? It yeah. uses the bands in the highest... Um, in the top of the spectrum, mm-hmm. which till today hasn't really been used a lot, except for between satellite dishes, because that used to be the size of the equipment you needed to get you know millimeter waves right, to work right. properly. Um, it's basically because they're so um, high up there; they're also very short range, and they get interrupted very easily. Um, they don't propagate as far. Sub six, meanwhile, is you know, below, like the, on the base, almost on the base level of the spectrum where they mm-hmm. propagate really well, but also hasn't really been used. So what happened was the FCC freed up some space in both ends of the frequent uh, That of the was spectrum. from like TV spectrum, right? Like they you mean sub six? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. But yeah. And so like you also will see PSAs going out where the FCC will tell you to like try to retune your TV once or twice <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. next year because some TV channels have had to give up uh, some of their spectrum. Mm-hmm. Um, so basically you're getting a lot more room um, for all your data traffic to flow through. And so everything should be faster. I mean, there's other technologies 
behind the scenes without getting too much into it to make all of mm-hmm. this work. So which which one is fast, Trillin? Like Millimeter Wave is supposed to be MM, fast, yes. but it is line of sight. So I feel yes. like that's been the issue. Uh, there are a couple of companies like Starry here in New York uh, where they have Millimeter Wave uh basically home internet but you gotta yeah. you gotta be able to point and look at their antennas which is kind of yeah. crazy. you have to hang this thing out of your window where sub six is like it can work anywhere but it seems like lower latency which to me is the more exciting part about 5g right yeah that's the two things yeah so sub six is the lower latency thing where you have internet everywhere and you'll feel like there's no delay in trying to connect to your internet it just is always there but the it might not be as forest. fast you were just surrounded right. by the forest yeah or the air. And then for millimeter wave, you can download a, a movie in like a second, in like literally a few seconds. Right. And the, but the trouble is you need to be like your, your hand, if your hand covers your phone a little bit <laughs> weird, you might not get a signal. Like that's the difference. But Qualcomm, and uh-huh. we talked about them a while ago, was working on technologies like beam forming and beam tracking to make like, um, make it easier to pick up a signal, even if mm-hmm. you're not necessarily line of sight. It'll bounce. They're talking about like the, bouncing things off walls and things like yes. that yeah. yeah so anyway but none of that is out yet so that's the thing like that's my biggest issue with 5g is that like because all the carriers were so eager to compete no one focused on really just getting the right messaging out there or explaining to consumers what any of this is and then now there's consumer fatigue now people are concerned about other things people are like well what about you know the phone well i mean the phones are also not there yet <laughs> The phones aren't great because 5G uses a ton of battery life. I remember back in the day, those early 4G devices. But Trillin, speaking of Qualcomm, what is what is up with Snapdragon PCs? <laughs> a thing that I remember you also hyping up and really loving back in the day. I, and I feel like those are related <laughs> to 5G as well, right? That's a whole like continuum of stuff from them. So again, relating back to hype, this year I think Snapdragon PCs got an extra dose of hype because the uh, Surface Pro X released. I would say that like um, the Snapdragon PC movement was kind of trucking along on its own. They announced the 8CX last year at the um, Tech Summit in Hawaii last December. That is the um, chip that they were really aiming to be in laptops, right? Yeah, they they called the 8CX. The X stood for extreme. You know what I mean? Like they were like, this is extreme power. <laughs> this is extreme. I was like arm okay yeah so i was like all right all right you know i could see you know something potentially happening the first device to really supposedly ship with 8cx was supposed to be the galaxy book s Mm -hmm. which we saw at the note 10 event around august or september but it never really came out and then the pro x uh was the first one to really ship with a, a variant of the chip so we didn't really see it come out and honestly even though the pro x was just bad like come on <laughs> well it's i don't know if it's a chip that's the fault it's more like windows and it's the for like those those like there aren't enough apps right there, there are things that just don't work exactly so my problem yeah. with it it's not the hardware it's not the power i think we've we've hit a point where the power actually could be fine if certain issues were ironed out like chrome right. support needs to be better um but the biggest problem I have with it, and we've talked about this in a previous episode, but my biggest problem is that they don't make it clear what apps are compatible or not. You'll just go to like a random download.com and then it'll just be like random 64-bit uh, <laughs> apps and you're going to try and download, but nothing during the process is going to tell you whether or not it will work until you install it and you try to use it and it's like, You have sorry. to learn that you just don't go to the, like the only things you can install are in the Windows Store, basically. Like the Microsoft Which store. Which is right? a very limited library. It people, is. If, that if you is give, the problem. If you give people a real desktop environment with a real <laughs> desktop browser, people are still going to go to the internet and look for mm-hmm. like something like an EXE they can download. So they, There is some training. This reminds me of like when the original Surface RT launched. It was such a mess because that was what pretty much the first Windows on ARM device. And yep. yeah, you couldn't run any old apps. It was all very confusing. And I still don't know what the uh, the real appeal is. Like, I guess if you can if you can give me a PC that is one pound, super like the lightest laptop I've ever seen, you know, then I'm like, okay, give me give me that mobile hardware. Okay, but it's not just that, right? I, my favorite thing about Snapdragon PC so far has been LTE everywhere, and in future, five G everywhere. Yeah, maybe. that'd be nice too. That'd you know, nice honestly, five G could make a lot of things better, um, and it's bringing a lot of promise to things like yeah, Snapdragon PCs, but also game streaming like the promise of game streaming was mm-hmm. huge this year we had stadia launch we had um mix uh, not mixer x cloud was you know launched as X-Cloud a test is in beta yeah it's a yeah. test yeah so not fully launched but but this is the year that like game streaming honestly got a lot of hype i think because of stadia <laughs> but and yeah unfortunately <laughs> rewind to 
earlier in this run of this podcast where I said Google was bad at rolling out products. Uh, Stadio is a disaster <laughs> as a product. It is the, clearly they should have been like, guys, let's wait six months. Let's just wait until everything is ready to launch this. But meanwhile, Google basically rushed to launch Stadia this year to some of those early adopter users. Uh, you had a great chat with Jess Condit about like how it works and everything there. Like it just, it, I don't know why they did this. They didn't have to just run and do this, but yeah, it, it is a problem of the tech is great, but the execution is terrible. And Google just has not thought about how people use products. As a refresher, I mean, like, pe- yeah. remember, this is Stadia service currently doesn't run on mobile data. xCloud does. Um, then there's, like, compatibility issues where, like, some controllers will work uh, with, the <laughs> with like, a thing. Some won't. If you want to play on your Pixel, you have to use the Pixel-supplied uh, controller. If you want to play on your, uh, no, on TV. the uh, Chromecast. Yeah, you gotta, the Chromecast you gotta, Ultra. You can only use the Stadia controller with that. Right. But if you want to play on your phone or laptop, you can, yeah, you can try another Bluetooth controller, sure. Uh, But if you Uh, use the Google one, they only provide like a six inch cable, which means you have to be stuck to your phone. No, that makes sense, though, because when you guys were talking about that, that, the reason that cable is so short is because it is meant for accessories that plug your phone on top of a controller. So it is supposed to be a really, really short connection. That, That was the whole point. What if you use it with your laptop? Well, then, I mean, then you need a longer controller, but that short, like everybody has long cables, short cables to really make something like a handheld uh, controller accessory that holds your phone more usable. Okay. Like, short, short cables are harder to find. So that that was why they did that. Okay, so that that's one, one thing, one thing they got sense. right. Yeah, well done. Um, but everything there, else, There should be you know. two cables. There should be a short cable and a long cable. There should yeah. be, this should be a service where you're just getting the games by subscribing to it and not having to pay for everything Stadia and then having to pay for <laughs> a separate copy of a game. Yep. Like the whole idea that Stadia is this thing where you're investing in a game library where they could just Google reader it and kill it, you know, in a year or two. It just seems like such a waste of money and effort. It works. And certainly when 5G is here, so the dream of game streaming is that I am anywhere, I'm just sitting and waiting, and I can mm-hmm. just, you know, pull out my phone and start playing Overwatch or something. The idea of fast, low-latency internet available everywhere, that's a dream come true that's going to enable all sorts of things. Like game streaming, even VR streaming is a thing people are yes. talking about. Like eventually, something like the Oculus Quest won't even need to be plugged into a PC to get a higher-end VR experience. Like you will just get that data over the internet, but... VR is the high, like that is the ultimate test case because any sort of latency in VR, any sort of like slowdown will, you know, literally make your stomach turn and will lead to people vomiting. So like that, once we do VR over 5G perfectly, I feel like we'll have succeeded, but that's going to take a while. It's going to take many, many years. One more thing that I think we're seeing more of this year, um, smart speakers, security cameras, things are not going so well. Well, so listen, I actually am pretty, you know, excited for smart home tech because, you know, I think 2010s was the decade that smart home tech became a thing. Yeah, we we went to Sherlin in 2012. Uh, Smart home, smart home, smart home. Every year at CES, man. Well, well. (laughs) Listen, I'm sorry, you I were left... in middle school then, so I can't exactly. I was still in school. I can't even talk God. to you about this. Uh, not, not really. I feel like the um, Echo really only came out um, the first gen, like 2014, 2015-ish time frame. Yeah, and that was the, uh, the like best, good, desirable smart home device. I yes, I wrote up a love letter to it in Gadget. Yeah. Yeah, it really pushed things forward. And then now here we are. Smart speakers are prevalent, I think, and we got uh-huh. security cameras in everyone's homes. But then. Unfortunately, we found out that, you know, all of the major companies hire contractors to listen to your commands and understand what you're saying, I guess. But then, you know, who stores that data? I mean, if your third party contractors may, may not be bound by the same rules or the same principles that these companies say they are. And so there might be a, you know, giant database farm or server farm somewhere with mm-hmm. every single word you've said in your home. So I think that like I'm not as paranoid as most people right. on that front. Uh, these companies should have people. just told us what is happening, and that was yeah. that was the problem. Like I wasn't surprised that yeah, obviously they're taking clips and trying to like optimize the voice tech. Like this stuff won't get yeah. better without them them doing that. But just just tell us, guys. Like let me opt into this. Let me be like, oh, I'm contributing to the future of the Alexa platform by opening up some you know device data maybe i can turn it on and off like when i want to have a public conversation and a slightly more private one like control control would yes. be great and then um speaking of amazon uh ring 
Ring has been kind of a disaster. So, yeah. So um, I didn't mean to scream. So security <laughs> security cameras are a whole other part of the of the issue here. I mean, not only is Ring, I mean, Ring has been in the news a lot lately for like handing over your, you know, security camera footage to law enforcement, but they also Basically, had a Well, no, they they're like selling the idea of Ring cameras as this like surveillance network across yeah. America. Like they right. have deals with police departments and the police departments are trying to push ring cameras into the communities like this is this is insidious this is some robocop level garbage yeah to tone it down just ever so slightly (laughs) i mean i think these are warranted concerns but like every single security camera right now also in new york for example is accessible by the police more or less to like you know do face recognition they've been deployed they've been deployed by the nypd and i have my issues with that we are living in a surveillance state but those cameras have all been deployed by the nypd i know i like i know to be wary of what those things are i am not as like i feel like i shouldn't be as worried about something i plug into my home you know yeah like that is a very very different thing i mean you are right because like they also have had a recent string of um hacks and breaches (laughs) where one of the most recent incidents actually involved a a person who hacked i guess a ring camera in that was sitting in the room of a little girl eight years old and then watch footage of her and like say things to her and so that's just terrible i mean that to me is awful um and to your point these things are being placed in like our our more private places and intimate spaces so this was just such a and that's been happening with baby monitors for years too that is also why a lot of people do not recommend wi-fi enabled baby monitors uh i use one that that uses like rf wireless at home so i still get video but i can't see it outside my house I, i don't mind it's okay it's fine yeah i mean look (laughs) <laughs> what are we what are we gonna so smart home basically developed a lot over this past decade but it's still kind of a mess and we still heard a good dumb news. home yeah it's still we we heard some good news this week that like i guess it's good news right apple google and amazon are teaming up to do an open source smart home standard um with a terrible name that i'm not going to say on here because it's just terrible but, <laughs> what no um, no you gotta say the name sherlin say the name and describe the name because oh it's disastrous Oh, my Lord. Do you want to hear the name of the yes. standard? Connected Home Over IP standard. Um, if you throw in the word project behind it, it's called yep. Project Connected Home Over IP. P-choip. 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 Yeah, that, that's that really going to solve all our problems. That that acronym that, that Vindra is yelling at y'all, P-choip, is literally what you would get if you took the first <laughs> letters. P, pro, project Connected Home Over over ip or pchoy it sounds like a chinese dish or i'm hungry like <laughs> i don't know um so yeah i mean listen it's it's potentially good news um, it's great this is the thing smart homes have needed for a decade so yes, yes. it's good news it's just i dumb. i want dumb them to to be very careful about the security standards uh inside this protocol so well let's see right um Hopefully, this will mean better cross-platform interaction. You don't have to worry about whether your smart light bulb that you're buying is going to work with Alexa, Siri, or Google Home. No, I totally agree. Like, I've been following Smart Home for a while. Um, In my house right now, I have Philips Hue lights. I have a random assortment of, like, Wemo switches. They all use different apps. They all, like, are connected to different things and different hubs. And it's it's a mess. It's a disaster. Um, But... I think the best thing so far has been the Alexa and when things integrate with that. I'm hoping this this is the sort of thing we needed a decade ago. We have had standards. We had Z-Wave and Zigbee and all these different things. Uh, everyone chose different standards to uh, accept, and that made it very tough to build a smart home because nothing talked to each other. So, yeah, this is good. I hope it leads to something real. Our hate fest is over. We can look with bright eyes to 2020. What do you, what, what's really like the things exciting you about next year? And what can we expect to see? So everything that we've talked about so far, whether it's hype or good stuff, right? Imagine all of that empowered and made better by 5G, right? Real 5G, <laughs> proper 5G with both millimeter wave and sub six activated. That's think, what I'm looking uh, forward to. We know what Sherlin's to. new middle name is going to be. Good yeah. Lord. Sherlin 5G low. Sherlin yeah. sub six low. Oh no, no! Sherlin I'm more hype about millimeter, millimeter wave, wave low. Yeah. yeah, there we go. Sherlin low spectrum. Yeah. There's also dynamic spectrum sharing. Let's not even anyway. Um, anyway, yeah. Th- you know, well, so well, we 5G... may see the 5G iPhone next year, and I feel like that will be the thing. That's like 
once Apple does it and Apple gets a lot of flack for being late to things, but once they figure out how to make a smartphone that doesn't lose its battery life over 5G and work well, hmm. uh, you know, that's competition. That's Then the Android people are going to have to be better too. I think that I'm not even looking for 5G next year. I'm thinking 5G in five years. I'm thinking, yeah, yeah. you know, eventually when it does roll out on a much fuller level that like, it's going to be great. I love having internet everywhere. I'm going to mm-hmm. not talk to humans ever again. I'm just going well, to be also, on the go. It's, I think it's going to make the idea of home internet, the idea of having like home service as obsolete as getting home telephone service. That is what I want. Because right now in my apartment, I'm currently living through an internet outage that has been lasting for days and is very... Yeah. It's very obtuse. I can't tell like when things are going to get fixed or what's actually wrong. Meanwhile, I've been just hotspotting devices here and there as I need them, and like the cellular works. It's fine. It's it may not be stable enough to do a podcast right now, but it works for what I need. So five G, that's great. That's that's going to be like yeah. You you will get good internet everywhere. That's a great thing. Uh, we talked a bit about the dual screen and folding devices. I do think next year we know the Surface Duo and the Surface Neo are coming. I am super hyped for those. I feel like I shouldn't be because Microsoft tends to disappoint me when I get very excited for something. Uh, but, you know, a nice pocketable courier-like dual screen device. Like, come on, give me that. That's you what and I've been your nostalgia. Of. You it's and your not, nostalgia. It's not just nostalgia. It is, it is the thing. It is like it the is... thing I would really want. Like right now, when I'm doing this podcast with you, Sherlyn, I have a laptop open. I have like our show notes. I have all this stuff. I have my phone nearby. If I could just like fold open my phone a little more to get a better sense of like these show notes or something if if i could just be more flexible about how i work and consume data i feel or like multitask. That would be super useful yeah or multitask that's the sort of thing um I'm, i've been looking forward to for a while that's the future i want i want to go into the next decade uh with this futuristic tech you know smartphones are great but they they've gotten a little boring and i think we will i do think that we'll we'll see a lot of these not again we say 2020 as next year but i think of 2020 as the beginning of a new decade and so sure. i think in the next decade we're gonna get a lot of improvement. and yes yes nerds i know 2021 is technically the beginning of the next decade we know but normal <laughs> humans i think will celebrate 2020 as uh, a new beginning uh the end of bad things in america like bad things in general yeah <laughs> So dual screen devices, you know I'm excited. Um, A thing we haven't really talked much about is 360 degree audio. And this is something Sony's pushing with uh, their 360 reality audio. Uh, Dolby Atmos music is a thing. This is the idea where you can get a single speaker, uh, something that looks like a HomePod. Amazon's new Echo Studio is technically a 360-degree speaker. It has speakers all around. It can fill a room with sound and also make you feel as if you're listening to a live session. Like It sort of like puts you there. I've heard some demos of the Sony stuff, both on speakers and headphones, it's really interesting. It's sort of like super surround sound. It is the idea of recreating just being in a room listening to a live band. And, you know, this sounds a little gimmicky, but as somebody who likes music and likes new tech, to me, the sound, it's a little more interesting than like high resolution audio, which is the thing so many people have been pushing for so long. Uh, I believe Neil Young has been really trying hard to do that. Um, you know, it's it's that stuff sounds good, but this sounds transformational and could be the stuff we're listening to, everyone's listening to in 10 years. So really looking forward to that. That is a very niche pick, uh, I will say, but uh, a little bit broader and still quite niche, I will say. I'm Okay, Miss Snapdragon PC. Wow. That everybody wants. Everyone wants a Snapdragon, listen. Well, I'm interested in the um, new consoles. I'm not a gaming girl, but I am. I I mean, I have found um, a Nintendo Switch that I'm about to buy for a very good deal, um, secondhand. But anyway, so yeah, so I'm starting to be interested in gaming. And I think that next year is going to be the year of big, well, big consoles like the... (laughs) PS5 you or could say, you can say the Scarlet. A word it's fine can yeah. I say the A word okay big <laughs> ass consoles big ass consoles because <laughs> be the Xbox Series X which is Microsoft just clarified is not the official like the Series X is a type of Xbox but the next generation Xbox is just called Xbox it's all very confusing they suck at naming things but yeah that thing is powerful the PlayStation 5 is powerful like this is cool new hardware uh, we saw some demos from the Game Awards by the way look up the trailer for Senwa uh, Hellblade 2, uh, was something or other. Um, but that trailer is all in engine. That is the processing power of the device. And it looks like a really realistic, uh, you know, uh, really well done CG movie. It looks insane. So 
Uh, I'm really looking forward to that. I'm really looking forward to to see like what Microsoft does with all its game services. Um, this is a bit of a tangent, but I feel like Xbox All Access um, is one of those great things. Like it is a subscription service that gives me Xbox Live. I get some games every month. Uh, I was able to play, you know, The Outer Worlds without paying for it full price. And I also get games on my PC. All that will carry over to the next system. All that also carries over to xCloud. And Microsoft has built this great unified system of gaming. It's not like Stadia where you have to go and buy every game Again, it's just all your Xbox games are going to be in the cloud. So that's all cool. Unified stuff. I wonder how Sony's going to compete with that. Basically, I think that in 2020 and beyond, we're going to see us inch, not even inch, like yard closer to um, the world of Black Mirror. <laughs> I mean, we're I, we're already there. I feel like uh, we'll talk more about Black Mirror at some point. But uh, the failure of that show right now is that the world is... A disastrous Black Mirror episode, and the show itself is not kept up with that. It's been a good year. I'm very glad we were able to get this podcast off the ground once again. Can Yay. you give us a sense of what you're working on? I guess what we're all working on, right? We're all working on CES, you guys. I mean, listen, this is... It's been CES season. I mean, Devendra and I talk about how we we would love a break around the holiday season. But for me, it's just endless meetings with companies, endless looking at my fielding, my inbox of like meeting requests at CES and having to decide like what is worth looking at and what's not really all that moving. Filling out spreadsheets, filling out calendars, basically blocking out a whole week of your time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think people, you know may think from the outside that it looks like a lot of fun and it is a lot of fun a lot of the time but it's also a a lot of work um (laughs) yeah so in in addition to being sick and trying to get our year-end coverage up i'm also doing a lot of ces prep so you might not see anything um from me on the website for a while but i am doing a lot of behind the scenes stuff a lot of stuff is happening i will i will give you my background story of ces my very first ces it was not flashy. My editor booked me at a CD motel right on Amazing. the strip, like right right in front of traffic basically. Uh I didn't get any like I didn't get like a budget to even take taxis, which is a disaster no. in Las Vegas. So, you know, I nothing will ever be as bad as that first CES for me. So that's that's what I'm going to take and I'm always excited to see the new tech. We've gotten some previews Our next episode, which is going to be after Christmas, we're going to take next week off, we are going to dive into some of the stuff we expect to see at CES. So it'll be a bit of a preview, and I'm hoping we can get some stuff done uh, during the show as well to give you guys some on-the-ground coverage. Okay, so let's wrap things up for the week, for the year. I'm going to talk about my Engadget pick, which is... I guess going to be kind of an anti-pick. I saw Star Wars Rise of Skywalker um, at an early screening here in New York. And I, you can tell from my tone, I'm not too happy with it. I wrote up a quick review uh, at Engadget. It is is a disappointing movie after Last Jedi, a movie that I love completely. So this is your, is this your pick or is this like your recommendation to not go? (laughs) No, people are going to go. It's Star Wars. People are going to go. But it's my pick is listen to me rant about bad Star Wars, okay? Um, over at Slash Film, we have a full review. We we recorded like two hours of this thing of just like debating this movie. But it is it is a mess. It is a shame. And I wish, uh, I don't know, I just wish it was better. I guess a good pick. A good pick would be The Expanse, which is back on Amazon. That's some good space stuff. No dumb like plot mechanics of a Star Wars. Anyway, Sherlyn, what is up with you? What are you digging? <laughs> I was going to make up for your lack of an actual pick by, uh, you know, recommending two things. Now, one, uh, you know, because I'm such a hardcore gamer, um, I want to recommend the game. This game called Jackbox Party Pack. Um, it's not one game actually. The Party Pack is a set of six or or five games, and um, you know, it's not the newest thing, but they do have the new Party Pack Six that came out recently enough. Um, you know, this is the season to be with your family and friends. You're going to all be sitting in the living room watching TV together. Sure. But why not play a fun game like Trivia Murder Party 2? <laughs> yes. Which it's amazing. Jack I Box love Trivia. Great for that. Yeah. Yes. I mean, th- these are the people who made You Don't Know Jack. And there's um, famous, like, the more well-known games like Quiplash or, um, I guess, Gespionage is a good game. There's Draw. <laughs> full which is a but the the newest party pack has again murder party 2 which i love the the first one so i'm really excited for that one dictionarium which is like i guess you make up words um push the button which is a hidden identity game joke boat which 
I guess like you have to come up with jokes. And, what are you? Um, are you playing this on a computer or what? So that's it's on a great switch now too. Yeah. Yeah. So that's a great thing about the Jetbox series is that they're like on basically every platform. They're everywhere. They're on Android yeah. TVs. What I do is I get them on Steam, um, which is really weird, I guess, for playing on a TV. But you can actually cast your um, laptop screen to a TV, which I did recently at a friend's place for Thanksgiving. Um, my friends also play on their Xbox, which is hooked up to their TV. So mm-hmm. you get it wherever you want. Um, there's a bunch of it's really available on basically every platform. Uh, the other thing I wanted to recommend, I spent a lot of time thinking um, last night when I had to pick a pick, and I turned on the TV and I was watching Ellen's Greatest Night of Giveaways, which is <laughs> this really feel-good show, and it just got me thinking like how amazing it feels to, if you're in a position of privilege like Ellen DeGeneres is, to just give and to help people. Um, I like literally sat on my couch sobbing, watching people who really benefited <laughs> Yeah, she was giving people cars and like a and money and people who really seemed like they needed it, right? And so I would say my other recommendation this holiday season is as you're giving gifts to your family and friends and loved ones, consider giving to, you know, a charity that needs it. Um, it's easy enough to find a charity that you support. I give monthly to the ACLU and like a no-kill animal shelter. But I also try to use um, smile.amazon.com, which is um, it donates a portion of the money you spend on Amazon to a charity of your selection. Nice. Um yeah, so instead of always shopping at Amazon.com, and if you're on your browser, consider smile.amazon.com. I don't know if a lot of people know of it, but there you mm-hmm. go. That's cool. That's cool. Well, good to know that you're such a giver, I guess. I am. I am. <laughs> I give and I give and I never take. <laughs> That's not true. <laughs> well, that's it for our show this week, everyone. Our theme music is by game composer Dale North. Our outro music is by our very own managing editor, Terrence O'Brien. The podcast is produced by Ben Elman. You can find Devendra online at... At Devendra on Twitter or talking about movies and TV at SlashFilm.com. If you want to tell me to get my flu shot, I'm at Sherlyn Lowe on Twitter. Please, please send us any questions or feedback at podcastandengadget.com. Make sure to leave us a review on iTunes and subscribe on literally anything that gets podcasts, including Spotify. As a reminder, we're taking next week off because everyone should enjoy the holidays, but keep an eye out the week after for our CES preview, which will be in the first days of 2020.